who doesn't have a story when you're just there in school in the 80s and Nancy Reagan just shows up to take down some crime syndicate? <laughs> just say no, baby. Stay in drugs. Don't do school. You know how it goes. <laughs> What's up, Dueling Decades? This is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s or the 80s? Beanie Babies or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney, maybe Whitney. Do you like new metal or new wave? Dave Grohl or Super Dave? I don't know, but now the battle begins. Dueling Decades, let's see who wins. Dueling Decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York Studios and on Pod TV Live, it's another all-new Dueling Decades, the adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back. I am Mark James, and this week we fall back for a best of November duel. I will be competing with the best of November 1988 alongside the other duelers and the decades they will be fighting for. First off, Rolling up a cornucopia of picks from the 70s. Say hello to Man Crush. What's up, everyone? Welcome back. I do have November of 1978, I believe. Uh, what was I, like five, six months old at the time? So I'm uh, definitely an expert when it comes to November of 1978. Uh, let's get this thing rolling. Let's do it. Also joining the show this week, representing the 90s, he's a newcomer to the show. It's free agent Jimbo. Yep, so uh, November 1998, wild time. Very wild time. You guys are going to see this is a, a wild month. And as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So this week we have a pair of veteran judges. All rise for judges Brent Hand and Joe Finley. Ooh, <laughs> I love sharing this box with you. <laughs> That's the Honorable Britain Joe. Thank you very much. Better believe it. <laughs> Glad to be back. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie after all five rounds, we'll go to a final wild card round. Remember, duelers, to review the show. Like, subscribe, and play along at home. It's time for more Dueling Decades. All right, the coin toss this week will be between Man Crush and newcomer Jimbo. Jimbo, you have the honors to call it. I'll go with heads. All right, so we have a sticker mule uh, coaster this week. So heads, you get the, the beautiful sticker mule. Oh, that's like a fr that's a free plug, man. And uh, <laughs> hey, hey it's, you notice it's not my Hysteria 51 coaster. So <laughs> I would rather you did that. <laughs> well, when you, when you put me on the spot, you get what I got. <laughs> All right, so he calls heads. Here we go. Heads it is. Woo. All right, Jimbo, you win the toss. You take control of the board, and you get to select our first category. Yeah, this is tough. I feel like my categories are all pretty strong. I'm not sure which one to hold out for my two points. Let's start with TV. <laughs> all righty. 
Okay, November 23rd, 1998, one of the greatest feats in sports history, exercise history period. You had the undefeated world champion of WCW putting up his title against a massive man, over seven foot tall, 400 pounds, and of course, it's Goldberg. He gets choke slammed, bounces back, gets his spear and is able to jackhammer the giant on WCW Nitro, one of the greatest feats in sports and exercise history. You call it exercise for the win. It's exercise. <laughs> it's exercise. You got to you got to exercise to get to get those jackhammers. It's like those old exercise competitions where they'd all come out dancing and Yeah. <laughs> all right, man crush, what did you bring for the television round? Oh, boy. Let's go to November 3rd, 1978. And this is one of my favorite shows growing up. But as big a fan as I was, I was not a and I was not as big a fan as the exiled one, Mike Ranger. And for for those of us who know Mike, I don't think there's much of a question which show this is. It's the same show that has the late Alan Thicke and his wife, Gloria, who penned the theme song for it. And then old uh, Dr. Jason Seaver himself performed it and if you don't know who that is you'll find out in a second but this show it launched in november 3rd 1978 on nbc under the leadership of the tv wonder boy fred silverman and if you recall like past episodes i don't know that was over the summer maybe right mark sometime this year yeah i've i've talked about uh silverman's like rise to the top of the tv industry taking cbs to the top and then taking abc to the top you talked at length yeah, and then he <laughs> left. He left in 1978 and tried to do the same thing at NBC. And unfortunately, the TV Wonder Boy didn't fare quite as well at NBC. But he did have some gems like this show. And this particular show right here it lasted for eight seasons. It was on seven on NBC. And then the final year was on ABC. And it lasted for 189 episodes. And shockingly, as popular as this show was and is today, the highest season ratings were in season three which is where they were only ranked number 17, which is pretty nuts. Uh, however, I think it had a lot to do with the fact that NBC was like sucking shit through a straw in 1978 and not because of the actual show. Cause the show is aces and it's also, it's really the first ever biracial family sitcom on television, which is pretty special. And for such a funny sitcom, one of the things we talk about with Mike Ranger all the time is this show tackles some really deep issues. Obviously, you know, you're going to have episodes that dealt with racism, but they also took on topics like sexual abuse. You had the infamous bike shop episode, fucking kidnappings in the Hitchhikers episode and in the Sam's Missing episode. They went hard on kidnappings. Then you had the drinking episode where Arnold gets caught with his friend's whiskey in the boys' room. You had Willis, who was living with an, his alcoholic friend after he moved out of Drummond's house. You had anti-smoking episodes. You had Willis's uh, fake ID episode where he had the mustache and he ends up going on a date with an older woman. You had uh, Kimberly's bulimic barfing episode. You had uh, epileptic uh, street performers. You had Andrew Dice Clay. And you even had... Nancy Reagan, who shows up to stop to stop a drug peddler at Arnold's school, who like you can never figure out what grade he's in. I guess he's in high school, but he looks like he's in like third grade. So you never know. But every episode brought a message 
and it's the debut of Different Strokes. And now you know that Alan Thicke actually did the song for it, which I only found out through Mike Ranger about two hours ago. Yeah, I didn't know that. I had no clue about that. It's crazy. And from your pitch, it sounds like the start of helicopter parenting. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, that old drumming. And actually, you know what's sad about that whole thing is uh, Willis is the only one that's alive from that whole show. Actually, is Danny Cooksey alive? Yeah, yeah, he was. Um, he's still doing the 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 con circuit. I'm pretty sure, isn't he? Okay, all right. You know, so, still signing. Uh, the, he counts. The bike yeah. shop molester's thriving. <laughs> yeah, of course, in his members say, only jacket. Who doesn't have a story when you're just there in school in the '80s and Nancy Reagan just shows up to take down some crime syndicate? <laughs> Fuck yeah! Just say no, baby. Stay in drugs. Don't do school. You know how it goes. <laughs> all right, guys. So uh, for my television offerings, you know. Long before LeBron James headed to Miami, Estelle Getty took her talents to South Beach. It's time to tune into a few episodes of The Golden Girls. And you're all invited to Sophia's Wedding, parts one and two, originally airing November 19th and 26th of 1988 at 8 p.m. on NBC. Uh, In these unforgettable episodes, Sophia travels back to Brooklyn for the funeral of her best friend, Esther who she stopped talking to years ago because she thought Esther's husband, Max, had gambled away all the profits from the pizza and knish business that he was partners with with uh, Sophia's husband, Sal. So at the funeral, Max drops the bombshell that it was actually Sal who had gambled away all their money, and he just took the rap to kind of save Sal and Sophia's marriage. Well, I guess Sophia gets over it pretty quick because what happens next comes to a complete shock as Dorothy, along with Rose and Blanche, finds Sophia in bed with Max post-coital where she announces that they have fallen in love and are getting married. So uh, part two of this one, Sophia and Max return from their honeymoon and decide they're going to reopen the pizza and knish business, but this time in Miami Beach only for it to burn down after the grand opening. So then Sophia and Max, they both agree that they didn't really have as much fun operating the business without their late spouses. And well, they're really not in love with each other. They're just in love with old memories. So they split up. Max ends up going back to Brooklyn. So interesting side note on this one. During the wedding scene, uh, Rose invites a bunch of Elvis impersonators. One of the Elvises is played by a young Quentin Tarantino. So let's all go have a slice of cheesecake with the Golden Girls, November 19th and the 26th of 1988. That sounds like a disgusting pairing, pizza and finish. (laughs) Sounds horrible. Yeah, it looks pretty good. I don't know. (laughs) All right, well, let's toss it over to our judges for this episode, Mr. Brent Hand and Joe Finley. What do you guys think for the TV round? Joe, those are pretty solid. Uh, I've... 98 i was watching wrestling back then so that's that was huge for me i mean i was still um i was in college at the time and and we would just every monday night glued to we had the the big screen which weighed forty seven thousand pounds in the common room in our in (laughs) our dorm you know and and we'd watch that so that's hugely popular for me um man chris different strokes i think is and i think you might have said this more popular now probably at least the the idea of a than it was then and you really you really look back at it and see 
you know, how big of a show. And they were all doing you know, a lot of the, the facts of life and all those shows are uh, hitting, hitting on some heavy topics that they don't maybe touch on anymore. Um, and then Golden Girls is a staple. You can be a, a dude in their 20s and be like, I was watching Golden Girls and everyone's like, cool. So those are, you know, breaking them down a little bit. They're all pretty, pretty awesome. Where's your mind at? Okay, well, I'm thinking along the same lines. Uh, definitely 98 was kind of my uh, kind of peak wrestling uh, time. Was never a big WCW guy. Definitely wasn't a big Goldberg guy. Uh, but he was, you know, it was a big time for WCW in terms of uh, their own popularity and stuff like that. So that was good. Uh, Different Strokes was not afraid to go there. Like, you, you, you know, you made so many points uh, about that. So that was... That's definitely something I, worth considering. I wish Mike could have given those points because Mike knows way more episodes than I do. I, the only thing I'm going to say is that you keep mentioning he who must not be named. And well, I just said Mike. Yeah. And so uh, as the person who banned him, I get a little. It's been my, months. My back it's gets, been months. When's he coming back? I don't. He and I have to have a sit down. We're going to have a dinner one night. We're going to sort it out. Uh, <laughs> and then on the other side, we've got Mark. And uh, the Golden Girls, I was Golden Girls. Everybody watched it, just like you said, because it was on TV at prime time. But what I love most about that show is its pedigree and writers. You look at people yeah. like uh, Christopher Lloyd, for who like produced Frasier and Modern Family, Mark Cherry, Mitch Hurwitz, who did Arrested Development, stuff like that. Uh, Major Simpsons writers were staff writers on that show, lowly staff writers, and like just that show produced more of the people who produced the things that everybody loved from the nineties and onward that uh, there's, you know, that can't be denied. But I think that the, for me, the tipping point is the fact that it's the different strokes premiere over. The, literally. That's what I think if it yeah. wasn't just the premiere, I probably would have, would have steered more towards the Goldberg, uh, Goldberg's Golden Girls. <laughs> uh. Hey, you guys, I want you all to try and jackhammer a 700 pound you know, man tomorrow. Okay? <laughs> you mean again? Yeah, Again. <laughs> obviously you've never been with him in Thailand. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I got to give it to different strokes too, because of being the premiere. Um, and, and, and really that's the, the, the tipping factor for me. And Alan thick. Yeah. That, yeah. That blew it, my mind. In the, any in the thick of the night touch on you can get, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. Ben. <laughs> it's a little weird of a song. If like I listen to it, to try to pick out his voice. It's a little country, but it's also like a little, uh, like poppy it's weird yeah. if you listen to it uh, that it's him finally yeah. a thick who can sing <laughs> <laughs> hey hey when in doubt throw topless chicks in your video <laughs> <laughs> all right man crush you picked up our first point but more importantly you take control of the board what category are we going with next mm, let's go to news just uh rip the band-aid off here because i think this one is for both the judges. Both the judges will like this one. So again, uh, well, maybe they'll like it. I don't know. November 18th, 1978. And uh, typically I, I would save this one for a worst of episode, but it's too damn monumental to pass up. And one of our judges here might have some extended information on this whole thing, especially since Brent, uh, he covered this on Hysteria 51 episodes 125 and 126 oh he's done some background on me <laughs> yeah back before the pandemic days in 2019 um so well ho hopefully you have more information uh, on this one than i do but when it all boils down this one 
just be wary of anyone who wants to build a utopian society. Yeah. All right. Because <laughs> and that actually, you know what? That is unless it's the eighties Utopia Island. <laughs> that is a very special place. Uh everyone's driving IROX, uh Monte Carlo SS is probably nineteen eighty seven. And uh we'll serve real Kool-Aid on uh, the eighties Utopia <laughs> Island. Uh, who am I kidding? We're, we'll probably serve Schlitz on the <laughs> Utopia Island. Uh, but let's talk about a little settlement that promised a socialist paradise to its faithful followers. And uh, it was all run by a former Democratic chairman of the San Francisco Housing Authority, Jim Jones. Mm -hmm. And old uh, Jimbo, not this Jimbo, but old Jimbo, he was able to talk his way or perhaps buy his way into Guyana and... Uh, the weak socialist government in Guyana. It was like the perfect backdrop for Jimmy's big move from San Francisco. They had lots of like shoddy jungle land that bordered Venezuela that, you know, the people's temple could live on. That is once they cleared like 3000 acres of <laughs> infertile soil to thrive on. Uh, but seriously, like these people, like they probably had a better chance living on Mars than they did there especially under Jim Jones. But uh, by 1978, uh, Jonestown, they were pushing the envelope. They had just around 900 members that lived there, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little less, into their uh, their communist utopia that they had. And this was a utopia that was filled with uh, Soviet propaganda movie nights, 16-hour workdays, the inability to leave without permission, uh, lots of overgrown weeds and buildings that were about to crumble. Uh, and you actually had... Uh, nightly story time with uh with jim himself uh and like i said before about the uh, the soil there was no sustainable crops to live on you, they had like cruel punishments if you broke the rules sounds like a hell of a utopia when you when you really break it down uh but if you're really interested in this you really should go back to brent's uh podcast they covered this in two episodes because there's so much of this you really need to listen to i'm not going to go into all this it's a huge uh, so downer, but it's. A, I think a lot of people should know the story. One of those kind yeah, of yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's so crazy. I mean, but sadly though, on November eighteenth, nineteen seventy eight, it's uh, the greatest single loss of American life in a deliberate act uh, that was committed in Jonestown. That is, of course, until uh, nine eleven. Right. But when it was all seven said and done, nine hundred eighteen people died in Jonestown from either cyanide poisoning or gunfire, and this that number right there that included hundreds under the age of 18 including infants and even their mascot mr mugs the chimpanzee so they, yeah they call it a mass suicide but it was a lot of murder a lot of yeah murder. seriously i mean all this for a so-called temple that was dedicated to improving the world i give you the jonestown massacre and it also uh bird the phrase drinking the kool-aid Mm -hmm. And uh, Kool Aid was very upset because they actually drank Flavor Aid, uh, not Kool Aid. Oh. Uh, and so, but Kool Aid <laughs> was the the more popular. So that's where it came from. So they tried different times to um, dispel that rumor, but it just sticks <laughs> to Kool Aid. Drink drinking the Flavor Aid just, just doesn't yeah. sound yeah. good. Take that freshy <laughs> shop rate brand. All right, Jimbo, what did you bring for the news round? All right, I'm going to flip it uh, to something optimistic. One of the greatest achievements in human history, one of the greatest collaborations in the history of our solar system. 
I'm talking about November 20th, celebrating the end of the Cold War. You have collaboration between the former USSR, Russia, and the United States, and they are launching the International Space Station. It's orbited over 130,000 times in the last 20 years. It has been manned for over 21 straight years. It orbits every night several times. In fact, we could go out and watch it probably tonight or within the next few days. It takes about two or three minutes. It's actually really cool. I think everyone should do it. If you haven't, look it up on one of those space apps and go watch, go watch the space station fly by. It's zooming by at about 7.66 kilometers per second or about 17,000 miles an hour. There's been over 200 people that have spent some extended time up at the International Space Station from at least 17 different countries. And yeah, like I said, um, forget about all that Jonestown uh, depression. Let's, let's celebrate some human achievement with the International Space Station. Oh, and also coming out of our boy Borak's hometown of, um, was it Kazakhstan? No, Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. Yes, yeah, sorry. Sorry, Borak. Launched from Kazakhstan. It, Yuri has actually been on that space station since November 20th, 1998, probably. <laughs> wow. That's funny. Actually, that's in, in my research for November of 88, I did find a small article where it talked about uh, Pink Floyd. They had uh, taken up a copy of Dark Side of the Moon on cassette to the space station. The the Russians had carried it up for them. Nice. Awesome. They were like, what? No record? <laughs> <laughs> the fuck am I supposed to do with this? All right, guys. So for my news this week, we'll go over to uh, clips from an article I found in the Washington Post by John Carmody, November 4th, 1988, where the headline reads, Geraldo Rivera injured in melee during taping. Geraldo Rivera was hit in the nose by a flying chair on the set of his talk show yesterday in New York when he tried to break up a melee during an interview with a young white supremacist and black civil rights activist Roy Innes. The brawl broke out when one of the guests on the Geraldo show, John Metzger, began shouting racist remarks at the audience and called Innes an Uncle Tom, according to Jennifer Gertz, spokeswoman for the show. Innes walked all over to Metzger. His fists were balled. He turned to another young man who was warning him off. Metzger then stood up, and Innes put his hands around Metzger's neck. Supporters of Metzger then moved towards Innes. Punches were thrown, and the audience members among them were skinheads and neo-Nazis. They stormed the set. About half the audience emptied into a free-swinging melee, said Gertz. Punches were thrown. Fists were flying, bodies were flying. Rivera was hit in the head by a flying chair, then got into a toe-to-toe fist fight with a burly man who had thrown it. And at some point, another chair had hit him in the nose. It was broken. It clicks when I move it, Rivera said. After declining medical treatment, Rivera resumed the show, and he taped two more episodes. It confirmed to me that all these supremacists are roaches. And that the only way to get rid of roaches is to turn on the lights, Geraldo Rivera said. A police spokesperson said Rivera declined to press any charges. No one was arrested and no other injuries were reported. So it was one of the most important and shocking events in television history and partially responsible for the birth of trash TV. So Geraldo gets his nose broken by Nazis, November 3rd, 1988. 
I, I remember all those photos of him with the double black eyes and, and all that, yeah. you know, and he just milked the shit out of that forever. It became you know? such a pop culture moment. Weird Al parodied it in UHF. Sure did. <laughs> yes. So, sure did. I mean, hey. <laughs> That's not good enough. All right, so let's throw it over to our judges for this episode, Mr. Joe Finley and Mr. Brent Hand. What's your guys' verdict for the news round? Oh, well, um, again, very good stories all around. Mm. Obviously, uh, Jonestown, the Jonestown Massacre is giant, and you know how I love the sadness. Uh, I was going to say, that's up your alley. That is right up my alley. I was going to say, it felt like you're pandering to me, because every time I do, yeah. (laughs) But the only thing, though, is you made one little point, and it just it hits really close to home, is that they weren't allowed to leave without permission, and that's the reason why I produced this show, is because I have have not been given permission to go yet, so I've just been sitting at this, (laughs) I've just been sitting here, I'm like, did I do a good enough job yet? They're like, no, we'll try again next time. I'm like, okay. But um, you didn't ask. Oh, that's that's fair. Um, <laughs> but that one is gigantic. And it's one of those things you say the Jonestown massacre and even people who aren't really educated on what it was. They've still got a pretty clear idea of what it was. Uh, International Space Station. I'm a huge space junkie. So a uh, lot of love. Uh, for that and just the fact that it's one of those things that's still up and around you know like when you talk about like oh the shuttle launch it's like well the shuttle the shuttle doesn't have legs as man crush would say because the shuttle's done but the iss is still up there and still accepting bodies uh bezos is gonna get up there any day i suppose with his penis shaped rocket and uh, <laughs> and what is better than geraldo getting his nose broken by a nazi mm-hmm. in terms of sentences like it's just one of the great sentences ever spoken. Geraldo got his nose broken by a Nazi. Say no more. I can ascend to heaven now. Um, so give me the Kool Aid or give me the Flavor Aid. I'm I'm all done. Flavor. Flavor Aid. Yes, sir. I kind of want to lean towards '88, honestly, and Geraldo, just in terms of pop culture. But I, it's not necessarily the biggest story. But it's just one of those. The, ones the that biggest again story is is, is Jonestown. Yeah. Uh, but I think a couple things. So, and it gave us don't drink the Kool Aid. It gave us a whole, uh, speaking of pop culture, it gave us a term. Um, for my world, <laughs> I love the the International Space Station. There, there talks now of it's coming to end of life and what's going to happen and where do we dump it and things like that. And it's just an amazing feat that it's happened. Geraldo birthed the horror that was 90s daytime talk television that's still going. And even people that started out kind of doing it better are now Maury's doing this shock hole shit because of, really, that happened realistically on that show and it was not supposed to happen. And they saw the ratings and they said, Yahtzee. So in the world of pop culture and everything, I think that that probably had a bigger impact than we even realize, unfortunately. (laughs) You know? Um, I have to tell you, I think Jonestown is a much more culturally impactful event. Okay. So I'm gonna let you pick this one. All right. No, you, <laughs> you, you, you make tell me good, what you you make a good point, and you did cover this, and uh, Man Crush went to the effort of even finding out when didn't didn't mention what of what episode of mine we talked about Jonestown. You know, I w- <laughs> I would actually I was thinking about one of your picks on the show before I selected mm-hmm. this. And I always get Jonestown mixed up with one of your picks that happened in the 90s, which was. Oh, are you talking Heaven's Gate? 
Heaven's Gate. Yeah. yeah. I I don't know why, but I always I think it's just because of the name. I yeah. Am, it works. Obviously, that was uh, Comet Hailbop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I'm willing to defer to uh to Judge Brent on this one. It's de- like it's it's definitely not an unworthy choice. Mm-hmm. So we will get you know you know what uh, because every time I pick something sad, uh, you guys go oh that's too sad so I can't give it to you. We're going with Geraldo because there's nothing wrong with punching him in the fucking face. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Well, I pick up a point in that one. Tie this game up with Man Crush, and uh, I get control of the board. I get to select our next category. You know what, guys? We're gonna go to the music round for our final one point round. Uh, my music selection this week. Uh, let's head over to the booming metropolis of Billings, Montana, in the pages of the Billings Gazette for a preview of an album that's one of the best live, cover, and acoustic albums of the 80s all at the same time. With 1988 coming to a close, the media is fast preparing its annual year in review packages. And where pop music is concerned, heavy metalist Guns N' Roses will probably be topping the success story of the year list worldwide. The band whose appetite for destruction has sold more than 6 million copies in the United States has just released another album titled GNR Lies. The disc features the band's self-produced 1986 four-song EP, Live Like a Suicide, And then side two features three acoustic originals and the acoustic version of You're Crazy. A Geffen Records press release touts that the disc is just an interim measure to tide over fans of Guns N' Roses until the band can put out another studio album. But GNR fans are treating it more as a traditional release, the article says, and the album's already sold more than one million copies. And, well, the album would continue to sell and go on to be certified five times platinum, kind of all off the back of its loading single, and hair ballad Patience, which would peak at number four on the Billboard Hot 100. So, looking at the track listing for this one, we're going to start off with Reckless Life, which was a cover of a Hollywood Rose song, and then Nice Boys, which was a cover of a song from Rose Tattoo. And then we have the Izzy Stradlin tune, Move to the City, And then we go to side two, and that's where we get the four acoustic jams. Patience, used to love her, you're crazy, and one in a million. Actually, Axel would go on to say that he absolutely hated his voice and how it sounded on all those acoustic songs. They were recorded in a rush, only a two two couple short sessions after touring. His voice was kind of torn up and gruff. But for me, I kind of think that's what makes those songs. It's a different side of Axel. So I give you GNR Lies, released November 29th, 1988. Which album was the um, the Manson song on? Was that Spaghetti Incident? Yeah, that was on Spaghetti Incident. Uh, I always get those two mixed up, too. All right, Jimbo, what did you bring for the music round? All right, so in, in November 1998, we have a, a double-disc album, debuting number five, on the U.S. Billboard 200, sells 268,000 copies in the first week, goes on to be nine times platinum. The artist wins wins a Grammy after he had already passed away. And we are talking about the greatest rapper, one of the greatest artists of, of our time, 
Tupac Shakur. And we have, you know, obviously it's it's greatest hits. It's it's his greatest hits plus plus a few a few new tracks including the 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 top single would be Changes. And yeah, massively successful greatest hits album for Tupac. I wasn't sure like what the rules were for greatest hits, but yeah, if it released, you could use yeah, it. Yeah, that that's kind of what I you know, yeah. All right, man, crush. What did you bring for the music round? Uh, I brought the Jets getting their ass kicked <laughs> at the half. It's fucking irritating me. You might have saw me. Well, if you guys are watching the video, you might have seen one first down. This is what I celebrate. I celebrate first downs because I'm a Jets fan. But anyhow, <laughs> let's go to the uh, the music round here. Let's go to November 10th, 1978. And uh, here's an album that I think even now people would dismiss this just because of a misleading title, which is jazz. And let me tell you, there is no jazz on jazz. None. Zero. And But the thing is, this is the type of band that you could potentially see doing some crazy jazz album just because they could. So consider this is 1978. So you have to wonder what the hell they were thinking at the time. They were coming off a good album, but they, they use the word jazz and it's a rock and roll band. That's like if you had anthrax putting an album out in the eighties called rap, like you might be confused about it because you don't know what you're actually going to get. Uh, that all being said, the album is so great. It really didn't even affect these guys at all. I mean, you'll see in a minute. Uh, this is the band's seventh studio album. It would reach number six on the billboard 200. It sold a million albums in the States since 1978. So we don't have those huge numbers. Like Jimmy's got, I'm shocked that 9 million, well, that's over the course of its life. But in 1978, people were buying records. It's basically. People also started legally downloading A-tracks. Tupac. Yeah, Tupac's that's why that's hits. when you said 9 million. I was like, damn, that's that's a big number for 98. So that's actually even bigger than what it actually is. Uh, but anyway, back to my album. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so th- this album, it produced five singles. Three of them landed in the Billboard Hot 100, and the band even included a tribute song to Elvis Presley, who died in 1977, with the song Dreamer's Ball. So, <laughs> Joe, this one's for you. This sucker's got legs, long legs. Because in, in 2018, they did a biopic on this band that made almost a billion dollars at the box office, which is insane. And their second single that came from this album, Don't Stop Me Now, made the rounds all over again. And this time it charted in 14 different charts around the world. So that's pretty big. And in a way that only queen could, or any like super rock band of the seventies could do this. They threw one of the most infamous album release parties of all time for this album in new Orleans. And for that party, they had dwarfs, they had Zulu dancers, they had voodoo dancers. They had drag Queens. They had strippers, unicyclists, Naked female mud wrestlers and obviously copious amounts of cocaine. I give you Queen's seventh studio album, nice. Jazz. That's every party that I can ever <laughs> dream of going to. Like insert whatever like, wait, reason and then do just you bring have all that. Zulu dancers? That's the only thing that I'm usually lacking at our parties. <laughs> I that just reminds me so much of your what your movie pitches, because you're always at the end of it. If you like the like that was the weirdest <laughs> list of those things ever. <laughs> well, for me at this point, if there's not Zulu dancers, no I'm doubt. just not going to the party. 
<laughs> what's a voodoo dancer though like are they doing voodoo i, I don't want to know time? is yeah. there i just don't want to know with the zulu like, dancers yeah well i'm curious they're sticking pins in a doll freddie <laughs> freddie probably had a hell of a night i'll say that <laughs> yeah right. well let's see what our parent judges have to say on the music round for this one let's turn it over to brent hand and joe finley Man, again, this is a hugely uh, hard one. Everything's huge, and I'm just gonna. <laughs> they're all big, and it's, the one it's a huge hard. <laughs> it's a huge hard one. Uh, that's the title of my screenplay. I'm working. We're on. twelve. Uh, it's it's hard to pick these because they're all, again, really good picks. Um, I'll just kind of cut to the chase. The one that I uh, was kind of surprised of that that is still such a thing. We're seeing holograms of Tupac yeah. being brought out, and the thing I you, that you said. That I thought was funny. You're like, I didn't know if we could, you know, bring up a, a greatest hits. This was the album that they they re- he released like three other songs after he was dead, and everyone's like, those are so on the money. He's not really dead, yeah. you know what I mean? And that's when like all these like things started swirling, and it was a time when Napster and things were hugely popular. The fact that it still sold nine or not no, went nine times platinum is crazy to me over time. Um, Queen. Excellent album. It's not one of my favorites of theirs, um, but it Fat is. Bottom Girls is on it too. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, but you know, it's uh, it's still you know, it's but, clean, and they're one of the biggest you know bands and important bands in history. GNR lies patience. I love it. I love it, and I think it does. It's one of those. They actually needed to release that because they didn't release enough albums. So I think this was a really important release, you know, and uh, it, it stayed people over. But I think I'm leaning towards. Uh, the the last uh, the greatest hits right after his death for Tupac. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. So um, definitely Tupac is gigantic, and and like you said, those numbers. There's no uh, accounting for selling those that amount of albums in 1998. Like it almost seems impossible, especially for a greatest hits. And I don't. And there is no discounting for me. Like, cause I mean, the greatest hits and even the GNR, like the GNR is kind of a filler album and the greatest hits is, well, it's not a filler album. He's dead, but whatever. Uh, but like, it, like those ones you, yeah, you tend to kind of prejudge a little bit more, but I mean, you could throw a jock jams on here and sell me on it. If it's going to sell 900 <laughs> or 9 million copies, um, but queen is just, it's queen and it's so it's it's hard for me to steer away from that, but in uh, and the party, the part, well, the party alone. But I wasn't invite, I wasn't going to get invited to that party even if I was alive. Uh, but I, I think though, just for the fact of the the mystery of it, I'm going to have to go with Tupac as well because it's such a weird thing. And I mean, the big joke was in Chappelle's show when he did the Pac song and it was uh, I wrote yeah. the song a real long time ago. <laughs> and, I wrote the song in yeah. and, yeah, and he's like, he's saying things that are happening in the club that yeah, night. Look at this guy grinding on this girl in the front yeah. with the red shirt on. I wrote <laughs> the song in 94. <laughs> Dave Chappelle, that ain't your wife. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to get, we're going to give this to Jimbo in 98. It could have went either way. These have all been great. So oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Nice. I needed that one, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're heading into our first two-point round. It's a three-way tie, and we're back to where we began in this game. Jimbo, you have control of the board. Where are we going next? 
All right, let's go with movies. So we have uh, November, obviously not the best, not the best movie month of the year, but we, I'm, I'm actually going to pass up on at the time, 1998, the, the biggest grossing movie. I'm passing on that one, and then I'm also going to pass on Pixar's second film, the follow up to, uh, to Toy Story. I'm going to pass on that one too. I'm going to go to the, at the time, not, not a huge, blockbuster, but something that some of the uh the critics were saying oh this is this is uh unbelievable it's it's like too fake to be real and it predates edward snowden predates 911 and we're talking the action thriller enemy of the state so it comes out pretty successful the it uh almost it almost triples the the box office from the budget so 90 million budget end up box officing 250 million will smith gene hackman john vaught you know good cast good action movie uh the nsa was not happy with it and you know what a few, just within maybe half a decade enemy of the state not so imaginary not so far-fetched when we have Patriot Act, and then eventually Edward Snowden letting Americans know that government tap in, check on you whenever it wants. It's so that's my real. pick, enemy yeah. of the state. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Will Smith. <laughs> Hell, I'm Canadian, and you can all see me on a camera right now. <laughs> well, his OnlyFans <laughs> subscribers. <laughs> we get from chest up, they get from chest down. That's how that works. <laughs> It's an under desk cam. <laughs> I got the cameras for it. Unfortunately, yeah, you do. they're in HD. So <laughs> <laughs> you got to shave, Joe. That's all I'm saying. As soon as I can see it, I'll shave it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man crush. What did you bring for the movies round? All right, let's go uh, November 27th or 22nd, rather, 1978. Uh, and this is one of those movies you either hate like Siskel and Ebert did or you think it's an amazing movie so uh, I think with this one listening to the judges decisions here will be pretty interesting to see what they say uh, the one thing I never realized until the other night even though I had I read this many times before I always figured they were full of shit because that's usually what movies do but this was actually inspired by actual events that the writer slash director same person uh, actually witnessed he he actually um, I don't want to get into the details of it uh, but it was something that he helped somebody out who was going through this with his family around pretty crazy shit I watched a documentary on it the other night and I did not know that uh, leading up to it but this movie this is one of those infamous video nasties that were technically uh, like prosecutable for watching in the United Kingdom and for this one, it was all the way up until 2001. And the only reason that ended in 2001 for this movie is because they edited it down to make it an 18 rating. Uh, and I just want to throw that out there just so you know what you're getting into with this pick. Uh, not quite as bad as the, uh, the Jonestown thing because it's not real. It's a fucking movie, which I try to explain to my kid all the time. is like, don't cry because the dog died. It, they didn't. It's a movie. You know, and it's the same thing with this one, uh, but it's messaging in this movie. And I'm kind of curious how, where these guys are going to go with it. 
Uh, but at the box office, this didn't bring in much money at all at the box office. Uh, they couldn't find anybody to distribute this movie. Uh, they ended up just doing it themselves and they ended up playing it in like some backwoods ass drive-ins around the country. Uh, some regional theaters like in Detroit under the original name of the movie uh, in 1978, which was Day of the Woman. All right. But that all changed when they took this film to the Cannes Film Festival and people were just enamored by it and it started playing all over the place overseas uh but that said it wasn't everywhere overseas it was still banned in places like joe's home in canada uh norway iceland ireland uh west germany at the time australia and like i said before the uk uh some places in that list they would eventually let it play after tons of edits were done but that wouldn't be for some time. Like I said before, with the UK, it's all the way to 2001. So how many years is that? Like 20 some odd years, you know? And that's all because this movie stands at around just over 100 minutes long. And it features over, I don't really want to use the word features, but it kind of does. Uh, around a half hour in rape alone. So it's kind of one of those movies, you know? Uh, I'm sure everybody knows by this point, the movie I'm talking about is I Spit on Your Grave. It's the movie that Siskel and Ebert called the worst movie ever made, uh, which when you think about it in the 70s and 80s, that's probably better than telling someone that a movie's good. If you tell them it's the worst movie ever made, of course people are going to go and see it. Uh, because when this thing hit the the rental stores, it was a phenomenon. This movie was this was the movie that you whispered about in school. Uh, it was like the rebuttal to, to one of your friends going, hey, man, did you watch Faces of Death? And you would go, yeah, but did you see I spit on your grave? Yeah. You know, it was like it, that, it was that type of movie. Uh, so I know. Listen, I, I know this is a, it's an objective movie. It's hard to even put it like a genre on this movie. Just when they changed the name from Day of a Woman. Or day of a woman, day of the woman, <laughs> to uh, I spit on your grave, which that's what it became in 1980 after they started getting uh, distribution. It completely changed the whole dynamic of that movie. But you know, at the same time, there's no questioning its position in movie lore. You know, and I'm I'm pretty sure everyone's either heard of this movie, uh, and a lot of people probably seen it over the years, whether you saw the cut version or the uncut version. But then you top it all off. It, it, I don't know if you guys know this one. Yeah, everyone's seen the cover here, right? You've all yeah. seen the cover of the the beat up girl kind of walking away. She's got the knife in her hand. She's all like kind of scratched up. You see her ass. Well, that it's been confirmed by Demi Moore that that is actually her on the cover of that uh, really? movie. Wow. Yeah, huh. it is not Keaton. They actually ended up using Demi Moore, and they kept that like secret for years, and it was like a rumor forever. But she came out with a book a couple of years ago, and she actually wow. says that on there. And uh, on top of that, they uh, they spurned a couple of sequels for you, Joe. So it's got legs. We got uh, I Spit on Your Grave, November 22nd, 1978. Wow. And then I Spit on Your Grave again, and I Still Spit on Your Grave. I know what grave you spit on last summer. <laughs> I think there was a sequel that came out in the early 90s where uh, they brought Camille Keaton back to kind of extend the, the story. And I think that one was really terrible. I don't even remember how it went. It was probably really shitty. But then there was a sequel that came out in, uh, I think it was 2010, 
which I don't know if it was a sequel or they just redid it. Um, it's been a while since I've seen it. But yeah, so it's one of those movies. It's fucked up. All right, well, my movie selection this week also has legs. A couple of tiny ones. So I give you the film where a single mother gives her son the hottest toy on the shelves for his birthday, only to discover that it's possessed by the soul of a serial killer. <laughs> so this movie roughly earned five times its production cost of $9 million. It spawned five other movies in the franchise and a TV series that is currently airing. Released November 9th, 1988, perfect in time for that Halloween hangover crowd, Heidi Ho, it's Child's Play. So let's go over to the pages of The Daily Spectrum out of uh, St. George, Utah, November 2nd, 1988, where excerpts from a preview of this film read, Child's Play gives director weeks of suspenseful filming. No legendary star with a legendary reputation for driving a director to distraction could compare with a three-foot-high contraption made of wires, plastic, and wood. Yes, of course, they're talking about Chucky. Delays, retakes, breakdowns, and other maddening interruptions involving the special effects stall had director Tom Holland talking to himself throughout the entire production. This week, much to Holland's relief, Child's Play is being released into theaters. I learned an important lesson, said Holland. He, who also had said he's never played with dolls, you don't start out shooting a film with an expensive special effects without a long pre-production schedule to make sure everything works properly. It took nine puppeteers to operate and animate the doll. And to complicate the situation, Holland pre-recorded all the doll's dialogue with his own voice. And then once a scene began, puppeteers would have to operate the doll to the taped playback of Holland's voice, obviously, before it was all dubbed over. So the biggest problem was getting the doll to walk without the floating motion. The whole thing was a nightmare, he said. I had no idea of the enormous, enormous complexities involved when I agreed to direct the picture. But Holland is confident about Child's Play, the article says. It's a movie about the supernatural. It's not just a slasher film brimming with gore. We tried to make a picture that appeals to adults, as well as the youthful audience. So I give you Child's Play. November 9th, 1988. It's just one of those iconic horror characters that I know we are all familiar with. It's a good one. Never heard of it. Yeah. Check it out sometime. <laughs> how, how many minutes of rape were in that movie? <laughs> Believe it or not, 37. 37. <laughs> all right, let's kick it over to our tandem of judges, Joe Finley and Brent Hand for their ruling on the movies round. Wow. Um, okay. Well, uh, first off, uh, we'll start with Enemy of the State, and I'll just say no. Uh, but it was. Uh, but uh, no, it, it's it's that thing that happens because uh, I totally understand. Just you know, that you you've got two judges who are also competitors uh so i know when you get a year and there's a lot of different choices but they're all very different you're trying to like oh which one's gonna kind of hit the yeah. hardest and stuff like that so i i feel for you but uh yeah that wasn't even the right one you know i have so much so that when you said enemy of the state i was thinking about one of the other many of those types of movies that came out around that time i was thinking of the one with owen wilson that wasn't that one <laughs> which was mm -hmm. one behind enemy lines 
Behind enema. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Enema of the state. There you go. There's that too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one of my favorites. I, I spit on your grave. It's one of those things where it's it's something you want to watch as like a teenager because it's gross. And then there's like really no other place for it in your life. You know, we watched Cannibal Holocaust as kids uh, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And then you went on what like all those awful websites because there was only two websites and the one was just like dead people or people sticking toothbrushes <laughs> in their penis, uh, things like that. <laughs> and then there's a movie that's none of those things. And not only that, if I could make it about me for a second, because I like to do that. Uh it's an episode I just did a commentary on this movie, and I am currently broadcasting the TV show of that in Canada. So I, I give my side of the vote to Child's Play. Yeah, here's where I'm at. Um, I Spin in Your Grave was so crazy because it had this huge amount of rape, but they also forget that this woman, it was a revenge flick. Yep. She went back and murdered the shit out of, like, was it like four guys? Five. That had... Five guys that had gang raped her, and it was just as disturbing. I mean, me not being a woman, as the other parts of it. It was kind of like, you know, I mean, it was shock for shock value. And I kind of like how you put that. It's like it's one of those things you want to watch it, you got to see it, and then you're like, well, I've seen it. You know, now I don't know where to go. Um, I think it was an important movie, and it's like because of what you said. When you make something illegal like that, people want to see it so bad. It's just like, you know, talking about that in that decade with the 70s, porn. Porn. People used to go to theaters and watch it. This is when, you know, these movies are coming out and they have A-list celebrities going because you're not supposed to go do it. But I do think Chucky takes this one just because of, speaking of legs, longevity. We have a TV show. They had a a reboot that sucked a year or so ago. Uh, But um, anything that's throwing Jennifer Tilly and... And others in there, and they're bringing back the same characters, you know, and Andy and all these things. I really think that it has had a lot more cultural impact, and it's still going. So for me, I got to go with Chucky, too. Or, I'm sorry, Child's Play. (laughs) I'm actually, I'm glad, though, that you brought up the part, the the second half of the movie, because I didn't really go through that. If you've seen the movie, you know, like, it's, it is a powerful movie, but it, it's so divisive. So what like, you're you telling know. me, man crush, is that I spit on your grave is a woman empowerment story. Dude, it's a it is. She comes dude, she like rises from the ashes, dude. It's like a it's the woman's it's version all of in Death the marketing. Wish. They marketed it total wrong then. Yeah. Man. They should re release that now. Put some new artwork. What do you in mean? What do you mean? Oh, oh, what do you mean? That's how they marketed it. It was <laughs> it came out as Day of the Woman. Because uh, the director actually, like, he didn't save a girl. This this girl came out of the woods who had just been raped as she was walking to her right. boyfriend's house. And uh, he put her in the back of his car with his daughter and drove his daughter back home. And his daughter didn't even know what was going on. And he brought her to the police station. And instead of the police actually, like, trying to help this girl out, this is in 1978, they were like... Oh, you know, what's your name? Like, you know, going through the whole steps and they didn't even bring her to the hospital yet. So that's where he got the whole idea of, you know, nobody's going to really help you. You got to help yourself. And she does. I mean, she goes through hell and she comes back and fucking destroys these guys. She castrates a dude in a tub. I mean, it's (laughs) so, yeah, it it depends on it's the eye of the beholder for sure. Like whoever's watching it. For sure. There's there's elements of 
that movie and a lot of movies too. Like even, even something like the crow, but then there's other, like uh, even like girl with the dragon tattoo takes a little bit from that. Right. And um, what other one am I thinking of? There's that one with, I think, is it uh, Jennifer Garner where her family gets killed? Like it's pepper. It's pepper. Yeah. It's the, there's that, there's that revenge of the, you know, after the awful thing where it, it's not the man doing it to, uh, you know, defend the woman. It's the woman going out and doing it for herself. And that's right. Feminine. And you also got to remember it's 1978. <laughs> so like the, he yeah. didn't make this movie for the rental market. He made this to put it in theaters and it didn't go theaters, anywhere. because yeah. Theaters would not pick it up. So it didn't really even grow legs until 1980 when they got the distribution and they had to change the name, change the cover and do all that. So it's two. That's why I mentioned that because it's almost two separate movies when you look at it. Because you had Day of the Woman, which what he meant for it, and then they didn't change the movie, but they changed the cover and the name, which kind of, in reality, when you look at it, it it gives it a different feel. Think about but, it this yeah. way, though, too. You've got a Clockwork Orange. You've got Death Wish that were previous to that that had horrible rape scenes and men going ape shit and doing it and people are like ah, i'm okay with it then you have a horrible rape scene and a woman going to town killing people and they go i'm not okay with this we need to stop this yeah, from being right. put out i think that might say something about the world that it came out i think into, it was the excessive it's more disturbing than the movie yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean the the one scene is like 20 minutes long in the woods yeah, so yeah. i mean that that's why it's it's so harsh to watch it's a lot but anyhow let, let's move on to happier things all right well i jump out to a two-point lead and we're heading into our final round that's going to be the hot products round and you know what guys i'm actually going to start this one off because i cannot wait to talk about this event i was so excited to see when this popped up because it's something i used to rent constantly at the rental store uh it was just one of those tapes i always went back to so my hot product this week will go to a local listing from the Akron Beacon Journal, November 4th, 1988, where we find an event listing for all the upcoming events at the Richfield Coliseum. You know, we have the circus, we get some Cavs games, and then on Thursday night, November 24th, we have the Thanksgiving night tradition. Yes, it's the WWF Survivor Series, 1988 edition. So tickets for this one were 15 bucks. and $8. You could also get it on pay-per-view for $24.95. Attendance was roughly 13,500 people. And then it had a pay-per-view buy rate of uh, 2.82. The uh, article for the Richfield Coliseum ad reads, Survivor Series, backed by popular demand, the World Wrestling Federation presents the second annual Survivor Series, live from the Coliseum on November 24th, At 7.30 p.m., the meanest, roughest, and toughest of the WWF have come together for a Thanksgiving Day brawl that will have the turkey feathers flying as teams of five strive to survive. 50 WWF stars participate in a series of four tag team elimination matches that will be a gruesome battle where only the strong survive. So let's go down to ringside on this one. We got Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse the Body Ventura on commentary. Our opening Survivor Series match has team captains Bad News Brown and the Honky Tonk Man recruiting Danny Davis, Greg the Hammer Valentine, and the outlaw Ron Bass (laughs) to face off against the team 
of Brutus the Barber Beefcake, the man who cuts my hair, and the Ultimate Warrior teaming up with Jim Brunzel, Sam Houston, and the Blue Blazer. Uh, and in this one, the Warrior ends up pinning Ron Bass, then Greg the Hammer Valentine in quick succession to become the winner and sole survivor. So the next match up on the card is actually my favorite. That's the 10-team tag team elimination match. Now, in this one, we actually have all tag teams. So on one side, we have the British Bulldogs, the Hart Foundation, the Powers of Pain, the Rockers, and the Young Stallions. So in case you didn't notice, yes, this is the very first time and only time on a pay-per-view that Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels were tag team partners. So, and they faced off against Demolition, the Bolsheviks, the Brain Busters, Los Conquistadors, and the Fabulous Rougeau Brothers. The match on this one actually ends with a double turn as Mr. Fuji turns on Demolition, costing them the match, and then joins up with the new heels, the Powers of Pain. So, the next match has team captains Jake Roberts and Hacksaw Jim Duggan teaming up with Ken Patera. Scott Casey, who nobody's ever heard of, and Tito Santana. They go up against Dino Bravo and Mr. Perfect's team, where they went out and recruited the Heenan family, Andre the Giant, Harley Race, and Rick Rude. Perfect and Bravo end up winning that one, but after the match, Jake Roberts pulls his snake out and chases Andre around the ring with it. That was also a nice bit on your <laughs> grave. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> So our final match on this one has Ted DiBiase and King Haku teaming up with the Red Rooster in the Twin Towers, Akeem and the Big Boss Man, to take on the Mega Powers, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. Uh, They are joined by Hercules and Hillbilly Jim, and of course the Birdman, Coco Beware. Spoilers, of course, the Mega Powers win this one. It's Hogan and Savage. And if you're wondering why we have captains and co-captains in this one, it's because you had the mega powers and you can't just say there's one captain because you can't split an ego in two when you get Savage <laughs> and Hogan. So that's my hot product. The second annual Survivor Series, November 24th, 1988, live and in your home on pay-per-view. All right, let's toss this, toss this one over to Jimbo. Jimbo, what did you bring for the hot products round? All right, so no- November 1998, the greatest video game of all time, according to the Metacritic, was released. It is the first 3D graphics for this game series. It's the fifth release of this game, and it's the first with 3D graphics coming out for Nintendo 64. You have some key features for anyone that's that's a gamer. You have the uh, the sensitive control buttons. And you you also have the target lock system, so we have we have some you know some key features coming out. You have uh, veteran composer Koji Kondo. Sorry, I might not be pronouncing his name properly. Uh, coming in with the music score. <laughs> For those of you that are that that are super into your your video game music scores, and this game is considered one of the greatest games of all time by many other video game lists that I have never heard of before. I'm not I'm not really that into video games. And we are talking about the Legend of Zelda. Um the actually uh the Ocarina. The, o, the Ocarina. Ocarina. Uh, I'm not Ocarina. sure uh, how to pronounce that. Ocarina. Anyone? 
Ocarina. Yeah. Okay. Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time for Nintendo 64. Greatest video game of all time. I remember never playing that game, but uh, a lot of people must have. <laughs> Way to sell it, Jimbo. Way to sell it. <laughs> I, I, I more prefer the 007 did not come out in November 1998, unfortunately. I was too busy banging chicks. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, Crush, why don't you wrap up this one? What did you bring for the hot products wrap? All right, so let's go November 2nd, 1978. Once again, I've gone outside the box with this juggernaut purchase. And without this purchase, like, who knows where this guy might have taken off? Because obviously it was going to happen, but nobody knew where. And uh, I did this a few months back. We looked at, uh, was it the sale of the Cubs? And I think there was another sports-related hot product that I had over the summer, but I'm old as shit now, and I can't remember what that was. But this time, we're headed over to Joe's Homeland and the great game of hockey. <laughs> he was happy until, until I said hockey. Uh, but looking back at hockey in 1978, obviously you had the NHL, but you also had other hockey associations that were around, and uh, their biggest competition at the time for the NHL was WHA, which is the World Hockey Association. And uh, one of the biggest differences between the World Hockey Association and the NHL was that the NHL did not allow players that were under 20 years old, and the WHA didn't give a shit if you were under 20. Uh, matter of fact, they didn't give two fucks if you were under 18, for that matter. Uh, they did. They did. But they had ways around it, which is why when they signed this particular player, they called it a personal services contract, which sounds fucking horrible. But uh, that's what they did. And this guy was only 17 years old at the time. So in spite of that, the Indianapolis racers of the WHA, they signed 17 year old Wayne Gretzky to a <laughs> seven year, one point seven five million dollar contract in June of 1978 so long story short here the racers they signed wayne gretzky in hopes of getting they they hope to get offered entry into the nhl uh however eight games into the 1978 season the race the racers were just hemorrhaging like tens of thousands of dollars a game and uh gretzky put no dent in that at all uh i found a quote from the owner who said that they had like 2,000 season ticket holders, and after they got Gretzky, they had 2,100. So, like, it didn't do any. It was a 17-year-old kid at the time, you know? So the racers' ownership decided that they needed to sell Wayne Gretzky in order to remain afloat, just to stay in business. We got to sell this kid. <laughs> so then on November 2nd, 1978, uh, they put Wayne Gretzky and some other players that nobody cares about on a plane to sell them, right? They put them on this private plane. Uh, they had Gretzky and spare parts in tow. And these guys had no idea at the time where they were landing. They just put them on this plane and they knew they were getting traded, but they didn't know where they were going. All their shit was on this plane. Well, the owner of the racers, uh, he had two teams interested in Wayne Gretzky at the time, uh, the Edmonton Oilers and the Winnipeg Jets. They were both in WHA. So as the legend has it, Nelson Scalbania, he was the owner of the racers. He offered to play a game of backgammon for the rights to Wayne Gretzky. 
So if Scalbania won, he allegedly would get part ownership of the Winnipeg Jets. And if Michael uh, Gobudi, I think his name was, if he won, it was, he was the owner of the Jets, he would get Wayne Gretzky. So Gabuti, like he listened to this and he balked. He was like, no way, dude. I, I'm not doing that. I'm not giving you part ownership to my team. So Scobania said, all right, fuck it. I'll call Edmonton. And five minutes later, literally five minutes later, this is what he said. He sold Wayne Gretzky to the Edmonton Oilers and these other guys that nobody cares about for $850,000. So he goes over there. So then uh, this is this is the kicker, though. So the racers, they folded the next month. They went out of business in December. Uh, the WHA itself. They folded in the summer of 1979, so they didn't even make it another year. Uh, the Oilers, the Edmonton Oilers, that is, they ended up getting invited to the NHL in 1979 for the beginning of that season. Gretzky obviously went on to become, like, the best hockey player to ever live. I I wouldn't even say arguably with that one because he, he's fucking amazing. Um, and... Uh, to top everything off, he ended up scoring 104 points that season and 104 points that season in 72 games. And he was named the WHA rookie of the year. So not too fucking shabby for $850,000 for a guy that how many seasons he played for the Oilers all the way up until 1988. Then he got traded to the Kings. everywhere. This guy went, even when he was on the Rangers in the nineties, we're still good. Dude is amazing, but yeah. It's the uh, the purchase of one Wayne Gretzky by the Edmonton Oilers. Nice. All right, let's throw it over our judges. Brent Hand, Joe Finley, what is your verdict on the Hut Products round? Man, that's an abstract product. I dig it, though. <laughs> <laughs> he was sold. Uh, yes, yeah. He was. <laughs> Uh, I remember Survivor Series, uh, November 24th is my birthday, and so sometimes it's on Halloween, and I was a huge wrestling fan, and every once in a while around my birthday, if there was stuff like that, we could do uh, we a uh, go watch a pay-per-view, and my parents would not let me because it was Thanksgiving, and I was oh. bummed out. So I literally remember, I don't remember the Survivor Series, I remember being upset that I, you know, because of when it <laughs> fell, uh, which just shows you how anger and regret really sticks with you um, so that's great and then ocarina or ocarina however you want to say it that's a fantastic game i remember playing it the flute and growing up being big and being little and doing everything it was huge and you know i that we'd play all the time in college we played golden eye all the time in college and then you know on the playstation we played uh um uh, Blah 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 seven whatever the hell that was I can't I'm, I'm brain farting here. Um, <laughs> it's the same games all the time, so it was huge. Like I when I think of that game, I think of college, you know, and that was fun. Gretzky is the undeniable goat, like you said. If that is the purchase, I think I have to go with that one because that one has more of an impact. I never would have thought of it that way, but um, yeah, it's probably I have to go with Gretzky. Ugh. I have very and strong. actually to make to make it a little bit better, the eight hundred fifty thousand dollars is what they wrote in newspapers. They the actual cost was uh, seven hundred thousand. So he actually actual got him retail like a, price. Yeah, he got him. He got him <laughs> like sale. <laughs> and like that airplane, it seems almost like a like a Korean um, 
TV show on Netflix or something, you know? <laughs> Wherever you land, that's your new life starts. Stuck on an airplane, have no idea where it's going. Gas, they're all gassed out. They're pu- they're gambling for its future. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Supposedly, like the WHA was like the wild west of organizations because all the owners were like friends with one another. They were all just a bunch of rich dudes. They really didn't know shit about hockey. They just bought a team and they were running it however the hell they wanted. So that's why it was like all fun and games for like, yeah, yeah, you want to play it? We'll do backgammon. I'll own part of your team. It's, it's just uh, it was like the Wild West, man. <laughs> all right. Um, I got super strong feelings about this one. Like, first off, again, wrestling during my childhood was so my jam. I got taken to so many events and things like that. And I met Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And I met Ted DiBiase. I met Bob Backlund and all these different people. And I've seen all kinds of crazy matches because it was mostly house shows. Right. So it was things that you mm-hmm. never they wouldn't put on TV. Uh, and then I loved the trivia for the Survivor Series thing, the Brett and Sean tag, that was something that I wasn't conscious of. Like, I was aware of the matches, but it didn't really occur to me that that was yeah, the I never, Yeah, I never thought of it either. I read it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but it's... Yeah, but the Survivor Series makes me long for those old days because, like, the Royal Rumble still exists, SummerSlam still exists, WrestleMania still exists. Survivor Series is the only one that isn't what it used to be. It's a different, like, it's a different animal now. And I miss those old days of having three months to build up to a pay-per-view instead of like sometimes like 25 days. I was just going to say, remember when it was such an event, not like, Oh, see you next month kind of thing. Yeah. And watch AEW. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, And that's coming from me who picked an in your house pay-per-view for my last. (laughs) But, uh, so that's that. And then yeah, Gretzky. And it's not the first time that man crush has, uh, sold a person on this show. Uh, He's, he's done it. it I think at times, I think I, I, who who was Bo Derek? That's who it was. Yeah. yeah. But, um, (laughs) but it is an undeniable, it is a sale. It is something that people were, fighting over and all that kind of thing now this is where we differ and this is where we're gonna have to figure something you might be able to you might be able to sway me okay well i'm gonna give it a shot so my thing with ocarina of time is it was while it was the reason that goldeneye was probably the more overall popular game was it was a game that could be played multiplayer so people would get together to play it yeah but ocarina of time was one that everybody owned and talked about it's like i can't believe i beat it i did this and it was the first real epic game at least from nintendo uh and it was something and so much to the point where you come all the way to now you have the Nintendo Switch. You got Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. After so many times of new games coming out for the Wii and all that stuff, you're like, okay, it was fine, but it was no Ocarina of Time. Breath of the Wild comes out finally. They're like, yes, this is this is what we've been waiting for. They beat it, and they're like, man, I wish Ocarina of, T- of Time would come out on uh, Nintendo Switch Online. And what happened last week? Ocarina of Time came out on Nintendo Switch Online. And if you go on, wow. if you go out on eBay and stuff like that, those cartridges of ocarina of time still hot products today the hottest Mm -hmm. product that we get from wayne gretzky now is he sells vodka and wine in st Catharines, ontario (laughs) in his winery Um, he he owns a whole uh he owns a hockey team he does own what about uh what about uh wayne gretzky's 3d hockey 
That game was fantastic too. <laughs> uh, no word of a lie. Um, a few years ago for a, a work Christmas party, we hooked up. We have this big viewing theater on the eighth floor of our building because our building is a fucking like fantasy land. And <laughs> it's um, and we set up a Nintendo sixty four and we played tournaments of GoldenEye and Wayne Gretzky's <laughs> Speedy Hockey. And it's just. Oh, so much fun. But I just like for me, Ocarina of Time, like I legitimately I got goosebumps when I heard it was coming back on uh, Nintendo Switch Online. And I've almost on multiple occasions rebought a Nintendo 64 just to get it because I wasn't able to get it any other way. So well, that's I was right I was there. I, I'm right there with you on that. Like I was saying, I was just saying uh, Gretzky because he's the goat. But you're right. Um, and it is so abstract. I'm going to defer to you on this one 100%. So if that's if you feel that strongly, I do. Uh, Man Crush can eat a dick is what I'm getting <laughs> at right now. <laughs> but then come back and get revenge later on, just like in the movies you love. I, I know personally that I won this entire game, so you guys can do whatever you need to do. You know it in your heart. <laughs> yeah. I just... Yeah. As long as you think you win everything, that's all that matters. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, re- I already know I won. I'm just watching the Jets lose, so you guys no, have fun no. amongst yourselves. Man crush. The Jets are winning, dude. Okay? Yeah. The Jets are winning. All right? winning. It, you know, for they're... anyone that's watching this, not just listening, he's he's definitely winning in the headband uh, arena, <laughs> yeah. so there's no shame. Yeah. All right. Well, with Jimbo picking up those two points, the game is tied. We're going to head to a quick wild card round on this one to see who wins this duel. You know what? It's wild card round. The gloves are coming off for me. Uh, or should I say the sunglasses? So for my wild card pick, and uh, if you follow us on Facebook, you'll you'll know that today, November 4th, was the release of this movie in 1988. They influence our decisions without us knowing it. They numb our senses without us feeling it. They control our lives without us realizing it. They Live. I give you the John Carpenter classic. They Live, starring Roddy Piper, Meg Foster, Keith David, and featuring one of the most badass fight scenes you'll ever see. So that's what I'm bringing for Wild Card. It's They Live. We've talked about it on the show a couple of times. It's come up. It's just one of those iconic movies that I still think holds the test of time. It still holds up, man. So that's my Wild Card pick. It's They Live. Jimbo, what do you have for wild card round? All right, so I, I have I have a little lesser known history. So everyone knows the Gulf War, everyone knows the Iraqi War, but what a lot of people maybe didn't know, and I'll go ahead and include myself in this, is there was an Iraq disarmament crisis in between those two wars, and you have Saddam Hussein constantly uh, not behaving well with the UN and the US. And so on October 31st, Bill Clinton signed what's called the Iraqi Liberation Act. It was efforts uh, for Iraq operation groups to go in and remove Saddam Hussein from office. Within like that same day, you have um, Iraq announcing that it would no longer cooperate with any UN inspectors whatsoever. So within a few days from that, Bill Clinton signs an order to, uh, let me get the exact, for airstrikes. So on, on November 3rd, Bill Clinton signs an order for airstrikes on Iraq. And then right before, calls him off because one of the UN ambassadors 
said that he got, uh, you know, an agreement going. And then within, of course, uh, November 23rd, so 20 days later, Saddam Hussein is already not playing right. Uh, he's intimidating the, the inspectors and he's withholding information. And this is 1998. And within about five, five years, the U.S. is going to reinvade Iraq with the Iraq war. And a lot of people just blame uh, President Bush and say that he just started that war because of oil or started that war because of his dad. And you know what? There's there's actually there's some obvious tension building in between those two wars. And so that's that's some some pretty good information. I think a lot of listeners might have missed probably didn't get that in the history books, myself included. I think a lot of people just missed it because a lot of that Monica was Lewinsky. at the same time as the, exactly yep. as the Lewinsky scandal. So more people were paying attention. President to that Clinton knows not. knows when when he's gonna you know <laughs> pop off you know with something you know. <laughs> well, without that, Jimmy Jimmy and I wouldn't have been in Iraq together in uh, 2004. Nope, we would have probably been in California together. Might have had a better time. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Christ. Well, well right, did sorry. did you join because of because of uh like 9/11 or or the, or the war or yeah, anything? Yeah, I did. Yep. Yeah, so my so my first day of boot camp, sorry if if I were getting too too far outside of the show, but but my first day of boot camp was September 10th, 2001. Oof. Oh jeez. Oh wow. I've I've heard the stories from you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like did, they actually like normalized, right? Like during boot boot camp and like brought you guys and let you know what was going no, on. No, no, not really. I thought it was maybe it was Preston that told me. Yeah, he, Preston could have been a little team. further further ahead. I mean, like it was it was my second day. Like I hadn't even slept yet. Oh yeah, yeah, you're yeah. still getting. I had no like uh, a Maya recruiter told me. Yeah, when you get there, they're gonna fuck with you. They're gonna tell you we're at war. They're gonna tell you you're gonna die. And then my second day, people are coming in. We're at fucking war right now. You're all going to fucking die. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, whatever, dude. This is a game, dude. Yeah, okay. You, gotta, you know? Okay. And then they gave us phone calls home, which I didn't know was abnormal because I'd never been to boot camp. I call my house. No one's there. They're all at work. I just leave a message. I have no idea what's going on. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy shit. So you never found out all through your 13 no, no, no. weeks? I, I mean, I found out later that day. Oh, okay. Right. But I had no idea what was going on. Like, you know, like, yeah, yeah. So, so like, eventually they, they took us in, like, a chaplain came and talked to us, and we finally realized, like, real information. But even, like, like the news footage, I never really watched all the clips. E- even today, whenever I see a clip, it's, like, really shocking to me because I kind of missed all that phase. By the time I graduated boot camp, you know, we already forgot about it. You know, there was, like, a little bit of anthrax. Jordan came back, but he wasn't very good. Uh, you know, it just moved on. <laughs> <laughs> crazy all righty well let's throw this one over to our pair of guest judges for the episode joe finley and brent hand for their final verdict on this game oh man well i mean definitely a lot of significance in the iraq thing because it's like you said it's you know it was it was a it was more one long story than it was two short stories uh you know, as far as international relations and stuff like that, um, I'll give it to Jimbo for telling, you know, no, no offense meant here, but maybe the funniest 9-11 story <laughs> is what the <laughs> fuck's going on. <laughs> um, so, 
Uh, that's crazy. But I mean, just again, just in terms of kind of putting ourselves back in the box of this show, uh, They Live is one of the coolest things I've ever watched. Watching Roddy Roddy Piper star in a movie is a gift. And that's all the way to hell comes to Frogtown. There's no... There's no time yeah. we're watching Roddy Roddy Piper star in a movie is a bad thing. The fight scene between him and Keith David is one of the best scenes in 80s action yeah, movies of all time. Uh, and just another, put on the glasses. Right. Just put them just, on. <laughs> the movie is so ridiculously good <laughs> and ha- is so much better than it has any right to be like if you read about it up oh jesus christ i was i didn't see you mark and now i'm freaked out (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah it's it's just one of those movies that if you just read it on paper you're like yeah it sounds like just some kind of bullshit b movie and in its way it was but like i mean carpenter just did such a job with it it just made it so outstanding so i mean i lean towards uh they live I, I was literally you took the words out of my mouth is it is such a better movie than you expect it to be or it has any right to be. And it's almost like um, Roddy Roddy Piper was in on the joke the whole time. You know, yeah. like it's got that feeling. He knew that it was a joke and it's the most quotable. I have an obey sign in my basement, you know, like, you know, you have all these. It's such an iconic, um, you know, stylized and everything um it's like a perfect movie and then it just ends and they didn't do it to death you know what i mean and and there's a winner kind of at the end you know and stuff and it's yeah. just a it's a really fun movie um and i think that in the last few years it's kind of came into its own again kind of become more popular eh, as it has through the years and any movie that has like a 10 minute fight scene for no reason that just keeps going uh, gets it. So I got to go with They Live as well. Is there even music during that fight scene? I don't think there, <laughs> I don't is. Think there is. I don't think so. It's just, it's just two guys yeah. in an alley fighting over yeah. trying on a pair of glasses. Yeah. The closed captioning just says garbage rustling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lots of garbage can sounds. And... Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. great. And I I forget the the actress's name with the spookiest eyes I've ever seen oh, in my life. Uh, Meg, Meg Foster. Foster. Meg Foster. Thank you. Uh, she played yeah. Evil Lynn in the He Man. Yeah, Masters yeah. of the Universe. Que- queen of the eighties, and she was in mm-hmm. um, what was the Prince of Darkness, also a Carpenter movie. And now she's frightening. Oh man, she is frightening. She's she's yeah. um yeah. She's in Rob Zombie movies. I was like hardened Ooh. looking uh, a little bit. Yeah. 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 Look, it looks like she's been drinking nothing but Jack for the last and smoking cigarettes. <laughs> All right, duelers. Well, it looks like I'm going to pick up the victory in this one. Congratulations to, well, I guess myself. <laughs> I never win on this show. I'm kind of shocked. Hey, that's a good first showing for Jimbo. First time. Uh, Absolutely. It was. It was a fantastic. You know what? The show. ones I the ones I was most confident about, I didn't win. And the ones I was like <laughs> unsure about, you know, I, 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 I scooped up. So. It's all. It's always gonna happen that way, man. Yeah, you gotta know your audience, and I I don't. uh, I definitely don't know Britt and and, uh, Joe very well, and I. I am a bit younger than you guys as well, so so I have a a '90s bias that you guys, you know, are different. I guess a a different cultural bias. Well, when were you born? Eighty-three. Okay, you're just. I'm eighty-one. Oh, okay. So, well, okay. So yeah, I'm seventy-nine, so I'm not too far. 
Brent, what did you say? 79. Oh, they said I was born in '89. I was like, "Who the fuck are you lying?" <laughs> I was born, yeah, I was born in '97. Four. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, definitely great picks, Jimbo. Can't wait to see what you bring next time to the show. But I want to thank our two guest judges for this episode: Brent Hand from the Hysteria Fifty One Podcast, and Joe Finley, of course, from Miscast Commentary. Why don't you guys uh, tell us what you got coming up on each of your own respective shows? Well, we uh, I'm happy to say we just won from uh, Paranormality Magazine. We won uh, Best Paranormal Comedy Podcast of the Year. So I got that going for me. Nice. So that's a resume builder right there. And uh, <laughs> we're pumping out. I, if you like the show, it's just me for the next few weeks because my, my co-host is on uh paternity leave him and his uh, wife just had a new baby so i got a lot of uh guest hosts coming in and filling in so having a lot of fun and that's my spiel nothing much but hey hysteria 51 you can find us just google hysteria 51 listen anywhere you listen to your podcasts and as for me uh i just had to switch to me otherwise it'd just be my voice over <laughs> brent and that would be weird uh so yeah uh we're doing doing a lot on miscast commentary right now we've just uh got a few episodes ahead we're gonna get ready for the uh the christmas season with some fun december movies and then we're uh trying to plan a little stunt for the new year well a couple little stunts for the new year that should uh i don't know make for a pretty interesting 2022 for miscast commentary and you could also check out my uh, youtube page miscast joe all right duelers well unfortunately we're gonna have to end this episode right here but don't worry if you've missed an episode you can always head over to our YouTube page and subscribe to the show there. Hopefully, uh, Jimbo comes back for another episode. And uh, Jimbo, what do you got cooking on you? On and I hear you're a free agent. Free agent, free agent. You know, I'm I'm hoping maybe you know, like <laughs> toss me in an airplane, you know, and just see where it lands. You know, a backgammon <laughs> game if someone needs it. You know, whatever. But uh, I heard the Houston Oilers are looking for a podcaster. I don't know. <laughs> Or Edmonton Oilers. I got wool. I went all over on that one. <laughs> yeah, I um, I, I might be publishing some something up in the future. You can follow, I guess, my Twitter or uh, yeah, Twitter. I'll probably whatever I do probably be on Twitter. What's your Twitter? That's a good question. Um, I'm pretty sure it's I'm pretty sure it's at Jimbo Stank. <laughs> Let me uh, you know I'll message you guys. You can follow me on Twitter. If, you just gotta find if me. that's not if that's not it, I'll uh, text you guys. <laughs> I have a blog. I I, I occasionally write on. Uh, there's a link from my Twitter account. I, I think my Twitter account has everything that that I'm worth worth uh, sharing. All right, so just search Jimbo on Twitter. Yeah, Jim, Jimbo Stank. When in doubt, just put in he's Jimbo one, Stank. He's I, one of them. I am the only Jimbo Stank on the internet. And uh, unfortunately, I got some MySpace photos I cannot get to stop, you know, showing up on Google Images. Um, I, you know, I've messaged some people. I, I'm still waiting a response. You know, uh, so kids, you, you can't just put whatever you want on the internet and delete it. That's not the way it works. Sure thing, okay. Senator. When you, when you put it on the internet, it stays somewhere. You're going to have to physically uh, track down that server. Okay? Yeah. I'll give Tom a call. We'll see what we can do. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Actually, no. Is it, uh, Tom sold that shit to... Uh, what's his face? Um, fucking InSync guy. What's his name? Which one? I keep thinking Justin Bieber, not Timberlake? Justin Bieber. 
Timberlake. Yeah, really? does Timberlake own that shit? I don't know. Yeah. What a hot product. <laughs> that is. I bought it like years ago. Man, I hope it wasn't November 1998. I could have used that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, jewelers. Well, thanks a lot for listening and tuning into us on YouTube. Uh, subscribe to the show. You can find us everywhere podcasts are available. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Jimbo out. Podcast New York. Podcast New York. Be heard. Be heard.